Dig it. Welcome to episode two of the Saturday Rundown, my new-ish series where I talk about a couple of movies I've seen during the pre past week uh, and a little bit of movie news that's happened during that week as well. Once again, there's not a huge ton of big movie news because obviously with the pandemic and stuff, movie big movie news has kind of died down a little bit overall in the last year or so. Uh, nothing, nothing but, you know, pushbacks and, you know, streaming site deals and whatever, uh, which is partly what we're going to talk about today. But first off, we're going to be looking through some movies. Uh, first up is Netflix's big new release uh, that just came out yesterday called Thunder Force, a new uh, Melissa McCarthy comedy starring her and Octavia Spencer, directed by, I believe, Ben Falcone, Falcone, uh, he's, he's Melissa McCarthy's wife, and the director who he, ma- who she makes all her bad films with, uh, just opinion-wise, her and, him and her don't usually end up making good movies when they work together, Melissa McCarthy, when she's working with Paul Feig outside of, Glo- of, uh, Outside of Ghostbusters twenty sixteen, uh, Melissa McCarthy and Paul Feig actually do some really good work together. They made Bridesmaids, The Heat, uh, Spy, but when she works with her husband Ben Falcone, uh, you end up with films like Tammy and, oh, what else? There was Tammy. There was Life of the Party, and Thunder Thunder Force is not that level of bad. But it's not great. I'm just going to be honest. It's not a great film. It's basically her and Octavia Spencer are two uh, people who used to be friends when they were younger. Uh, they had a falling out. Uh, they reunite years later after one accidentally gets superpowers uh, while trying to visit the other one in her lab. Like, okay, Octavia Spencer's character, she... This is a world where there's supervillains, but there's no superheroes. Uh, And Octavia Spencer's character is determined to create superheroes to fight the bad guys because her parents are murdered by supervillains called Miscreants, which is a terrible name for supervillains. Who who thought, oh, you know what a cool name is for a supervillain? Something that someone from the 1940s would have called a, a little shithead. You know, you miscreants, you know. I can't hear miscreants and not think of Finster from Recess. So, like, that that's, that's whoever thought of that, I hope they got fired for that blunder. But, um, yeah, and it's basically, uh, she's determined. It kind of ruins her friendship with Melissa McCarthy's character. Years later, uh, Melissa McCarthy's character tries to visit her at her lab and accidentally gets superpowers in doing so. And then Octavia Spencer gets superpowers and they become basically a two-woman team. And basically any cliche you would think happens in this movie does. You know, like, there's a character introduced a bit way through who immediately, the minute you see him, is like, they're the villain, aren't they? Yep, they're the villain. There's a person on the good guy's side who turns out to be a villain. Yep, you think it's going to happen and it happens. Uh, there's a daughter character and you're like, are they going to go in this direction with the daughter? Yes, they go in that exact direction, you know. Uh, Jason Bateman is in this movie for a little bit. 
he plays a guy who's kind of on the side of the villain. He's basically a kind of... He's a redeemable anti-hero character, but he's part crab. So it's Jason Bateman with basically two crab hands. And yeah, that sounds really weird. And weird in a way that's... Uh, gets a chuckler too at times but it's also that kind of weird where it's out of place with everything else in the movie because while there are superheroes in this world it's played still kind of straight enough you know like it's still that kind of usual comedy you'd think of but it there's nothing weird there's nothing like wacky out of the outside the box like a guy with crab hands stands out in the wrong way but I do think he does try, you know, and like there's people in this movie who are trying and some people who I don't think are trying enough, you know. Although, again, it is nice to see Octavia Spencer not in that supportive black friend role again, because that seems to be the only thing Hollywood ever puts her in these days. I mean, she is still playing a black friend, but it's a different, it's a different take on that role. It's not the exact same thing which I feel like she appears in, like, six movies a year playing that exact role. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's very middle of the road. Like, again, it's not a piece of shit like Tammy or Life of the Party, but it's not a good comedy. It's, you know, everyone else, everyone who's in this film will do much better work elsewhere. This just feels like a movie that, you know, kind of knew it was destined for streaming at some point. Probably while they were still making it and uh, they just decided probably halfway through to instead of think about making a uh, like a theatrical film, they kind of think, oh, we'll make a streaming film. So maybe like the viewpoint of it changed from the people who are making it. Maybe they stopped giving it a bit of a shit halfway through. I don't know. It's just very meh. It's very forgettable. You know, you, you might put it on in the background if you're doing something, but you won't really be paying attention. That's the best way to watch it, really, if you don't really pay attention. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't recommend it because, like, there's better things on Netflix. So, like, I, I wouldn't waste your time with this. It's, it, it's eh. Uh, a movie that isn't eh, though, that I watched very recently is a Starman, a 1985 John Carpenter film, uh, starring Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, and it's basically if John Carpenter ever made a Superman film, this is John Carpenter's version of Superman, just minus the whole superhero stuff. It's basically about an alien who crash lands on Earth, uh, assumes the form of a recently deceased man and uh, has to travel across country with the dead man's wife uh, so that he can reach where uh, his fellow species people are meeting to collect him because his ship has been far too damaged and the crash to earth. So yeah, basically it is very much a fish out of water spaceman uh, tries to survive on earth, learning earth ways uh, falling in love, that type of deal. Very, very classic sci-fi uh, with that John Carpenter feel. So, like, there's that sense of atmosphere. There's that great 80s sort of synthy music. 
a lot of creepy stuff, a lot of, it, it just, if you know what I'm talking about when I say John Carpenter, you know what I'm trying to talk about. Uh, it is, it is it's a very, film I would very much recommend. It holds up, even in certain cases where the su- su- uh, special effects don't really fully hold up. Uh, they hold up to the point where it kind of increases the creepy va- creepiness factor, uh, which works especially in scenes where it's going for creepy. It's going for unhuman. Uh, I have to say, Jeff Bridges is fantastic in this film. Like, it's a role that requires a lot of robotic acting, and uh, he's really good in it, but in a way where it's like, it's a good performance, it's not a bad performance, you know? Like, he he has that roboticness to his performance, but not in the sense that it was a bad performance. In fact, it was very much someone... He made you. He made you believe that he's not human, and that he's learning... Pretty much everything as he goes along. Uh, so yeah, so I would recommend Starman. It's a great nineteen eighties science fiction. You know, a movie they, a movie that nowadays I don't think would work as well. But uh, yeah, this is an optimistic, light hearted, sci fi romance Starman. I would one hundred percent recommend. Uh, again, especially if you like John Carpenter. Uh, okay, what's next? Uh, Ben-Hur, which I watched recently over the Easter weekend, because if there's any time to watch a four-hour biblical old-school Hollywood epic, it's Easter. Uh, the story of Ben-Hur is basically set during, uh, the Roman Empire times, uh, in what is nowadays Egypt, I think it was called Judea back then. Uh, and it's essentially about a uh, Judean prince who is uh, put into slavery and must come, must return to his homeland and uh, defeat and kill the guy who put him into him into slavery and ruined his life. Uh, but it's set in the backdrop of Jesus times. Uh, it's hard to really talk about this one through modern eyes because it was made in 1959. For a nineteen fifty nine audience, in a sense, because there's a good chunk of the first act of the film is primarily taken up to just showing the birth of Jesus and sort of Jesus as a young man, and then he really kind of disappears from the story until the third act. Uh, so yeah, it's be- there's a lot of stuff in here where you're like, when you look at it through like the eyes of twenty twenty one, you're thinking. That doesn't need to be in here. You could have cut that. That doesn't need to be in here. Why is it here? Why is it there? It It's made for a 1959 audience where showing Jesus and showing all the Bible stuff would be, would, would he had a pop out of them, you know? Showing Jesus is the 1959 version of an explosion. Uh, the only thing is uh, it works because it has that old school scale. You know, like nowadays, you know, if you saw a movie with that many extras in it, you'd think, oh, there's CGI, the special effects, you know, not all those people are actual real people. Now, in this movie, they are real people. And that's something I kind of do love about old school Hollywood epics, that sense of, okay, this is a set 
and there must have been a hundred people who were there just as extras, let alone the crew and the name cast and all the people who would have actually had lines. So there is just that spectacle to it that I just think is kind of tangible, especially today when you really don't see that kind of thing anymore. Uh, Charlton Heston's good in it, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's one of those films where it's like, I'd only recommend you to watch it if you are, if you are fully intent on watching it. Like, if you really do want to watch it, then I would recommend it. If you're kind of hard-hearted about watching it, I don't think I could recommend it because it's four hours long. That's a lot of your time to give up to something, especially if you're not sure if you're going to like it. This is one of those films I watched because it's it's on a shit ton of like you need to watch this lists or whatever. So I just thought I'll watch it and I'll check it off. And I did enjoy it. But I again, the time constraints and the old fashionedness means that I don't know if I could recommend it. I liked it. I didn't love it. Uh, I felt there were uh, there was a bit too much Jesus stuff in it for me. But again, I know that was to pop the 50s audiences. Uh, the third act kind of slows down a bit too much it gets to a plot point i think too early and then it peaks at that plot point mainly the chariot race like this whole movie peaks with the chariot race and then afterwards it's just like oh well that happened oh and now this is happening oh and this is happening oh it's still going yeah so i feel like it could have streamlined the third act better uh it could have ended on a better note it kind of ends on a uh, not a not a down note how it ends on a happy moment but it just feels like a movie that's peaked and is just kind of going along you know like the whole stuff with his mo- parent with his fat mother and his sister now being lepers i think that's fine but i kind of wish you would wrap that up sooner than you wrapped up the other part of the story it's it, it is there's there's structural issues that i had with the movie but you know watch it if you're sort of a fan of movies like me where you'll watch something because a lot of people tell you you kind of have to and that type of thing but if this doesn't feel like your jam then i wouldn't recommend it but if but if it is your jam i would you know it's one of those films where i can say what i say but it's really up to you (sighs) anyway what's what's next what is the next movie Okay, okay, this is a fun one. Recently, Disney dropped um, two Ewok movies onto Disney Plus along with uh, the old Clone Wars, like the pre-2008 series. The, uh, the Tartakovsky, I think is his name. His uh, Clone Wars animated series. Uh, I need to watch that, but... I watch, it's all part of the uh, vintage Star Wars collection on Disney+. Plus, But I'm going to talk about the two Ewok movies now because um, they are what I like to call adorably janky. Uh, the first one was Ewok Caravan of Courage, came out in 1984, uh, a year after Return of the Jedi. So this was full-on George Lucas, let's milk the shit out of uh the Ewoks money wise uh and 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 milk them they did uh this movie is it is a shameless cash grab but I will say this there is enough 
there was just about enough weird charm in the Ewoks and this story to where while it is a cash grab it's kind of it's a cash grab that I don't feel that I cannot feel myself thinking fuck off to you know like I'm open to it despite the fact that I know it's a cash grab there's just enough cute there's enough cuteness in it for me to just kind of let it let it slide that is a cash grab you know uh, the first film centers around uh, two kids who lose their parents after they crash land the, the parents aren't dead they're missing they're kind of separated from their parents after the ship they're carrying on crash lands uh, on Endor and with the help of a few Ewoks uh, including Wicket who we see who was in um, episode 6 uh, played by Warwick Davis still a young Warwick Davis um, they basically have to go out and find the parents basically like it is like it is essentially the Hobbit in a sense the Hobbit but with Ewoks uh and yeah it's really weird it's one of those movies where like i'm not saying i'm not can i'm not saying you need to watch it while stoned but i feel like it would greatly improve your viewing experience if you were stoned or drunk or high or off your face um yeah it's it very again it's uh, it's run of the mill adventure quest film but weird, uh, very, very, very outdated special effects. But that's what I mean by adorably janky. Like, there's so many things in this film that are very basic or just, like, laughable. But it's, like, it's that charming kind of laughable. Not that sort of, I hate this laughable. More, I'm enjoying how weird and uh, transparently not good this is. Uh, kind of not full on so bad it's good, but it's kind of, it's a few rungs below that, but it's close to it. Um, hold it, you could say the same about its sequel that came out in 1985, Only One Year Turnaround. That kind of shows exactly uh, what I meant by cash grab, you know, they didn't even, they barely spent time, really time making these, you know. Uh, Ewok. The Ewoks Battle for Endor, which is so much darker. I don't know why, but it's so much darker than the first film. Within the first 10 minutes, like, the three three of the main family from the first film are just straight up killed. Like, they kill off more characters, they kill off more family members at the start of this than, like, five Disney animated movies put together. You know, like the, like the main family, three of the four are murdered. The little girl is left by herself, orphaned. The Ewoks are all carted up, round, rounded up and imprisoned like the fairy tale creatures of the start of Shrek. You know, it's, it's weird and weirdly dark for reasons that I don't fully understand. And then, like, there's a magical element in there. There's a witch in there. There's a evil lord. And none of it's ever explained. Uh, Wilfred Brimley's in there kind of just shouting at children and Ewoks. Uh, I hope he was paid well because I'm still not fully sure why he was there. Um, yeah, like, again, there's, 
not much that I can say about it, like, in this form. It's one of those films where it's like, you know, if you get friends around, uh, put a, put this on a projector, get some drinks into you, you could mystery science theatre this film. But, you know, I'm not, there's not much I can really say about it other than it's on the same level of quality as Caravan of Courage, uh, although it is darker, and I kind of... I, I enjoy this more than Caravan of Courage until, like, the third act of the film, where it just kind of becomes a carbon copy of uh, Return of the Jedi in terms of, like, fighting on Endor, the, the whole setup of the Ewok forces being the underdogs against a much bigger force. You know, it, it is straight up, let's just copy what we've already seen, the Ewoks fight. Uh, and again, it's not great, but if you're a Star Wars fan, I would highly, highly recommend this. If you're a fan of, uh, bad films, I would recommend this. So it's one of those things where it's like, I can recommend it to more people than I can, than I cannot recommend it to others, if that makes any sense. So yeah, basically, watch it if you... Watch it if you want an enjoyable time, but if you're looking for a good movie, like a genuinely good movie, do not watch either of these Ewok movies because they're not great. Uh, they're not even good, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, okay, let's move on to movie news. Um, Basically, like, the main sort of news stories this week are, you know, one that broke, I think, only today. Um... Top Gun, which was meant to release in summer of this year, has been pushed back to December of this year. Uh, I don't have the re- the exact release date for it, but I know it's been moved to December. And as a result, Mission Impossible 7 has been pushed back to May of 2022. I don't mind the pushback of like Top Gun 2 because I'm not fully... I'm not really that interested in it. Like, I'll go see it in cinemas, if cinemas are open by then. Uh, but it's, like, I'm not looking forward to it as, like, a movie. I, you know, I'd, like, I'd go see it in the cinema, but again, I'd, I'd see any sort of big blockbuster there. It's like, I don't really have, you know, a connection to the first one or a huge interest. But, like, I was pumped for a new Mission Impossible movie. Those films have been getting better since uh, Mission Impossible 4. Like, Mission Impossible 6 is, was one of the best action films of the last 10 years, for my money. And a lot of people's money as well. Uh, that's an opinion that I feel is widely shared by a lot of people. So yeah, so it is annoying to see Mission Impossible 7 pushed back. But, you know, this is this is kind of the thing, you know. I'm kind of numb now to the feeling of, oh, that movie I was looking forward to got pushed back. You know, I felt it so often in the last 12 months that... You know, the kind of feeling of it is numbed, basically. Um, They announced Indiana Jones 5, again, for some reason. Like, we, we've known a fifth Indiana Jones film was coming, Uh, but we had confirmation that um, Indy, uh, Harrison Ford is coming back for one last film as Indiana Jones. Uh, kind of worries me. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure he's in his 70s now. Uh, or or will he be 80 by the time this film comes around? I'm not sure. Uh, John Williams is back. The only guy involved in this movie who could make Harrison Ford feel young at this point. I think he's even older. Uh, and then Phoebe Waller-Bridge is coming on board uh, to as a coaster. 
which is quite interesting. This has gotten a lot of, uh, no, 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 fuck it, I'm not going to say a lot, a minor angry out, out, uh, outpouring from uh, sections of the internet because um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is apparently like the feminazi devil to them. You know, like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I heard anything in regards to if she's writing the film, but, you know, apparently Indiana Jones having a female character in it, despite the fact that there's been female characters in all of the movies, apparently means that it's going to be, like, ruined by feminism now. That's stupid, but, um, you know, there's a lot of stupid people on the internet. Uh, so, yeah, it's coming out in 2023? I'm not sure, I can't think of the date off the top of my head, but it'll be out in the next couple of years. I hope it's good. I hope it's good. I hope, yo, know, Harrison Ford doesn't die doing Indiana Jones, you know? Uh, but yeah, so I'm cautiously optimistic about it, you know? As long as it's better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, then I'd be happy if this is the final outing for uh, Indiana Jones or Harrison Ford or whatever. Uh, and then the final story of the week. I'm sorry, this has been a short episode. Um, I'm kind of still getting to grips with uh, set the structure of these rundown episodes because... Uh, and also, I'm, I just have a lot of stuff on my plate right now. But, um, yeah, so I'm still dealing with sort of the structure of, like, okay, how much time do I give to certain movies? So on and so forth. But, um... Yeah, so the final story of the uh, episode is just this whole Sony and Netflix deal, where apparently Sony have partnered with Netflix so that Netflix will be the home of all Sony uh, distribu- Sony distributed, Sony made films uh, in the future once they've uh, gone on streaming. So basically, Sony will release movies into theatres um and once their theatrical runs are done and once their video on demand runs are done they'll go straight on to netflix which is i feel like that's i can understand why sony did that because unlike warner brothers and disney they don't have their own streaming site uh ready to put all their films onto uh and and i imagine making a streaming site costs a lot of money and i understand why netflix would do this netflix now have the streaming rights to any Spider-Man film that comes out, uh, any Sony animated film that comes out, you know, I can't off the top of my head think, uh, Ghostbusters, I imagine, would probably fit into that deal somewhere as well, so, you know, this is a big plus for Netflix getting big, uh, current movie blockbusters, uh, so they can compete with HBO Max and they can compete with Disney+. Plus. Uh, so yeah, so I can understand the business side of it, you know, as long as they're not, uh, disregarding theatrical runs altogether, I don't mind this either, you know, I have Netflix, so I might as well enjoy the news of Netflix getting more content in the future, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna call it a day for now, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm tired and I have a lot of stuff on my plate, so I can't so I can't dedicate hours and hours to talking about Thunder Force uh, said everyone else in the world no one should dedicate that much, that much time to that movie but um so yeah I hope everyone is doing well I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, 
I'm going to I'm going to keep trying to sort of improve this element of it because I'm I'm in a nice I feel like I'm in a nice place with how like the Tuesday episodes are going. I've enjoyed having guests on. I hope you've enjoyed listening to me talking with guests uh and so on and so forth. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like I said, I'm going to work on you know structuring these episodes better because I don't feel like there's a I don't feel like I've had a great structure to them, apart from talk about movie, 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 uh, news and goodbye. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to work on that. I'm trying to make this as smooth-lined and slim-lined as possible. You know, I'm going to keep uh, experimenting with what I can edit, what I can not edit. Um, so, yeah, this is all just a work in progress. Uh. But I hope you're enjoying this work in progress while it's in progress. Um, I will be back next week. I'm not sure what I'll be talking about. Depends on what I watch during the week. Uh, but until then, thank you very much and um, goodbye.